Today is the last Sunday in the sermon series that we are doing called Becoming Resilient. We've been looking at words in Hebrew, especially the ones that are used within the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament to help us understand words to live by. And so today we are turning to Isaiah chapter 54, verses 10 through 14. I invite you to hear these words from God's holy word. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, I am about to set stones, set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies and your gates of jewels and your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the prosperity of your children. In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear and from terror for it shall come, not come near you. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I don't think I've introduced myself yet. My name is Michael Bowman, and I too have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here with Mike Colley and Maggie Dunaway and Robert Mercer. The two of them are down in Modern and just thrilled to be a part of this team. Now, before we get started, I want you uh, to be let in on a little something here. I'm about to play out for you a story about a woman and Jesus. And what I need you to do is pay attention because I'm going to be playing the role of the woman and Jesus. This is more of a joke, but I do want you to make sure that my acting skills are on par. Okay, so stay, stay with me. <laughs> It's really just a way to get you to engage with me. But anyway, all right, there was this woman who wanted peace in the world. She wanted peace in her heart. She wanted every kind of good thing, but she was very frustrated. See, the world around her seemed to be falling apart. She would read the newspapers and get depressed. So one day, this woman decided to go shopping. She went to the mall and she picked a store at random. And lo and behold, standing behind the counter was Jesus. She knew it was Jesus from his picture on the holy cards that she'd seen and her many devotionals because, of course, those are all accurate representations of Jesus. It took a minute, but she finally worked up the courage to make her way to the counter where she approached the man and said, Excuse me, sir, are you are you Jesus? To which the man responded behind the counter, I am. She said, do, do you work here? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I own this store. To which she said, well, what do you sell here? Jesus replied, oh, just about anything, anything, really. Yeah, anything you want. What do you want? The woman replied, well, I I don't know what I want. To which Jesus said, well, here's some pen and paper. Take this, walk down the aisles, mosey around, take your time, make a list. And when you think you've got everything written down, bring it up to the counter and we'll look it over and see what we can do for you. 
Well, the woman did just that. She walked up and down the aisles and she saw there was peace on earth, no more war, no hunger or poverty. There was peace in families, no more drugs, harmony, clean air, careful use of resources. The woman just wrote furiously. And by the time she got back to the counter, her list was dramatically long. She laid it down on the counter in front of Jesus to which he replied with a chuckle and a smile. Looks good. No problem. And then Jesus bent down behind the counter and he started picking up a number of things. And as he stood up in front of the woman, he laid down packets. She asked, what are these? And Jesus replied, well, they're seed packets. This is a catalog store. She said, you mean I don't, I don't get the finished product? No, Jesus says, this is a place of dreams. You come and you see what it looks like, and then I give you the seeds. You plant the seeds. Go home, plant the seeds in the ground, nurture them, help them grow, and then someone else will reap the benefits. Oh, the woman said, and she left the store without buying anything. Scene. How do we do? It's okay? Yep, all right. You're stroking my ego, thank you very much. Okay, but I'm with, listen, I'm with the woman. I want the finished product. As a husband, as a father, as a pastor, but really just as a normal human being. I, I look around this world and it does at times seem to be falling apart. I see what's happening in our community and our world within Birmingham alone, but then our country at large and the world around us, there's this ever, well really never ending news stories of violence and more murder. There's the reality of hunger and death and loss and illness and pain, homelessness, broken relationships, heartbreak, empty bank accounts, lack of resources. The list keeps going, doesn't it? I want all of this to be made right. I, I deeply desire all of these things to be made well or to be done away with or what have you. I pray for even that this would be true. Uh, we start most of our worship, well actually we start every worship service on Sunday morning at some point with saying the Lord's Prayer. We did it today. And when I'm saying that alongside you, but then also throughout the week as I say it in my own time of prayer, I'm not crossing my fingers when I say that line about God's kingdom coming and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. No, that's really what I want to happen. But I don't really want to wait for it. I would like for it to simply just happen when we pray it, wouldn't you? Although that could probably get dangerous. Think about the things that I pray for and it might always not always work out. But what I find myself wanting is inner peace. I want outer peace. Really simply put, I just, I just want peace. The biblical word for peace as we have it in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shalom. Can you say shalom? Thank you. Shalom, that's, that's really what I want because shalom is more than just simple peace. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness, welfare, health, harmony. When we're talking about shalom, 
uh, we're not just talking about the kind of, like the peace that we, as we define it rather, you know, we think of peace often as the absence of conflict. Peace is the absence of conflict. Well, shalom is so much more than that. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of wholeness and health and harmony. If you're visual, try to picture a wall made out of bricks in your mind's eye. Go ahead and see what it looks like. And then imagine that that wall broken down. All of the bricks that were laid to build this wall are now scattered on the ground in front of it. Well, shalom then would mean this wall being rebuilt, restored, made whole again, put back together as it was meant to be. Shalom, biblically speaking, can refer to peace with yourself, that is, being comfortable with who you are. It refers to peace uh, in relationships, that is, your relationships going well and being healthy. It refers to peace with God, that you are in right standing, comfortable with your creator. It refers to peace with the earth, the environment that we've been given to live in, to care for it, to tend to it. These are the dimensions of shalom. It's with the self, with others, with God, and with the world. So, of course, I don't think there's a single person in the sanctuary today who wouldn't want peace or shalom in every aspect of what we just talked about. We all want peace on earth, no more war, no hunger or poverty, peace in families, no more drugs, harmony, clean air, or careful use of resources. But those are like big things. Can I bring it closer to home for us? See, we all want to be okay with who's looking back at us in the mirror. We don't just want to be comfortable with who we are, but we want to be comfortable in our own skin. We want to stop telling ourselves and then stop believing the lies that we repeat to ourselves on a daily basis about how we look or how others perceive us or what's expected of us in this world. We want to be comfortable in our own skin, but we even want to, I think, truly love ourselves. We all want our relationship with others to be at peace as well. We want them to be made well. We want to be good with one another, so to speak. We want the broken relationships with our parents or our children or our friends to be restored, to be good. We all want to feel confident about our relationship with God. Who doesn't? We want to believe that we really are in right standing with our creator. That when we pray, God actually hears us and cares what we have to say. We want to believe ultimately that God loves us. That it's really true. We all want the earth that is our physical environment to be healthy to exist for the sake of our children and our grandchildren and their children and so on. We want to leave behind a world better than the one that we have now, cleaner, more sustainable, the way it was created to be. And of course we all want this. We all want shalom, but none of us can say that we have it. We want these things because we don't have them. We want peace because there is war. We want harmony because things are out of sync. We want our relationships to be mended and made well because, well, simply they are broken. This is the reality in which we live. This is what we call our tension. It's something short of shalom. 
broken and wounded, lacking and in need, or just simply put, not quite there yet. The prophet Isaiah uh, made some pretty bold claims on behalf of God. And the passage Mike read for us a moment ago is no different. On behalf of God, that prophet speaks, Isaiah says that mountains, can you picture this image? Even if the mountains get up and walk away or the hills fall to pieces, he says God's love for us will never walk away from us. God's covenant, God's commitment to peace, that is shalom, will never fall apart. For the God who has compassion on us has said so. He tells us that though we have been afflicted, battered by the storms of life, unpity, uncared for even, God has promised to rebuild us. And then he gives a picture as to what that looks like. Using the metaphor of a city being rebuilt, he talks about how God will rebuild us. And in this city, in this rebuilding process, God will spare no expense. Did you notice? He says the foundations will be made of sapphires, the pinnacles made of rubies, the gates of jewels, and walls of precious stones. And then he continues with even more hope. In those last couple of verses, Eugene Peterson paraphrases the words. He talks about how uh, children will have God as their teacher and their mentor, and under God's guidance, they will only prosper. He says, you will be built solid, grounded in righteousness, far from any trouble with nothing to fear, far from terror. It won't even come close. Now, like you, I think, I really want every bit of that to be true. I want all of that to be true. But I struggle with stuff like this because I too, like the woman in our story early on, want peace on earth and peace in my heart and all kinds of good things. Yet the world around me seems to be falling apart and when I read the newspapers, I'll admit I can get depressed too. And so when I come across scriptures like this about shalom and peace on earth, wholeness, completeness, all things being made well and made right, I gotta admit that I struggle with this because I pray for this stuff, but I don't exactly see it. God has promised this stuff, but maybe I'm just not looking in the right place. And I wonder if anyone else might feel this way too. Because I don't get much response necessarily from these prayers of mine, my longings for things to be made well. At most, I find that God has given me packets. That Jesus responds to my prayer with not, you know, just doing it, but instead by providing me an invitation, saying to me, here's some seeds, now go and plant them. Take them home, put them in the ground, water them, nourish them, care for them, tend to them, help them grow, and then someone else will reap the benefits. You see, the unfortunate truth is that shalom does not come about if we just sit back and wait for it. Shalom requires something of you and of me. Shalom is active. That means it requires action from us. That, uh, for example, for that relationship to be restored, you might need to swallow your pride and say those really difficult two words, right? 
I'm sorry. To, to care for this world that we've been given, which is the first task we were given in Genesis 1, to care for this world we've been given, it might be a good idea to stop littering or to recycle or to plant a tree. No one ever said you had to hug it, just plant it. It didn't land in this service either. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I was hoping the choir would at least laugh, but I should have told y'all beforehand. That came to me at 8 o'clock, at 8.30, and it just flat. All right, anyway. If you desire intimacy with God, you might need to turn off the news every once in a while, or Netflix, or your phone. There's an old song, you might know the lyrics, that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We, we all want shalom, we all want peace, but, but what is it going to cost us, right? What will it actually require of you and me? The New Testament, the Gospels, the good news stories about Jesus begins with a couple birth narratives about Christ's birth. And in the Greek, uh, when Jesus is born, we are told that this is the arrival of Erene. Can you say Erene? Now you know a Hebrew word and a Greek word. Well done. You can impress people at lunch. Erene is the same word in the Greek as the word shalom in Hebrew is, meaning peace. With Jesus comes the arrival of peace. The prophet Isaiah talks about the coming of Irene and peace as well. In Isaiah 9, if you were to flip backwards in your Bible, the prophet, you'll find him talking about this one who is to come as the prince of shalom. And that when this Messiah comes, his shalom will have no end. And when he comes, God would make a covenant of shalom with his people, making all things right. Jesus, you might know, has been referred to as the Prince of Peace as well. The Prince of Shalom who offers his peace, his shalom to others. Uh, this short little passage in John's gospel, John 14, if you're curious, towards the end of that chapter, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, his apprentices telling them he's soon going to leave them, but it's actually a good thing that he's going to leave them. And he tells them that that is because I am going to leave with you my peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and I do not give as the world gives. Now, what might Jesus be saying here? Well, he's saying that the one thing he is going to leave behind for his followers, after his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, his ascending into heaven is peace. Erene, shalom, which we know is more than just peace as we know it. It's wholeness and completeness, health and well-being, harmony with one another in our world, not as the world gives. Now, why would Jesus say that? It's because he's talking to a group of people who are living under the oppression of the Roman Empire who had a saying, Pax Romana. Can you guess what that means? Roman peace. You know how the Romans brought about peace in their empire? The sword, war, violence. If you step out of line, that might be your last step. <laughs> but Jesus, on the other hand, absorbs the world's violence on the cross, and he dies. And after his burial and resurrection and ascending into heaven, he gives us his spirit. And by way of his spirit, we receive Shalom, his peace. Shalom is so much more than simply the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of health and wholeness and someone 
who provides for us the blessing of God, which is what Jesus desires for each of us to have. He reveals that true peace, true shalom requires taking what is broken and restoring it, restoring it to wholeness in our lives and in our relationship with God and our relationship with others in this world. See, and this is a terrible sales pitch, but we are never given the finished product. We're not even really given clean slates in this life. Even when we meet Jesus, we talk about being given a clean slate. Yeah, in a sense, you're made new, but it's the transformation that's begun. It's salvation at work within you. We still carry with us our baggage and that thing we did, even if only in our memories. We're not even given, for those of you who are married, a perfect marriage. This is a great example. We're not given finished products. We're not given a perfect marriage. You know this to be true if you're married. You know that what happens when you get married is you have made a vow to someone in love, a commitment, a covenant to be there for them in good and in bad. Your relationship might require counseling or support from others. It might even require, actually it will most certainly require, spoiler alert, both of you to change. We're not given finished products. We're given seeds. There's not a single person here today who has not or will not experience some kind of suffering in this life, some kind of pain. Every single one of us have wounds, scars that remind us of what has happened to us. And this is good news when we think about Jesus because even in his resurrected body, Jesus is bearing the scars of his crucifixion. A reminder of our wounds still remain. The Bible ends with a picture of shalom. Revelation 21 tells us about the new heavens and the new earth descending upon this one, which is important because that means what we do here on this earth matters when the kingdom of God comes in full. But there's also a line in there that you probably know by heart about God wiping away every tear. And that's a beautiful reminder, an encouragement and hope-filled statement of what is to come. But if we skip over it too quickly, then we miss what's actually taking place. That in the new heavens and new earth, when shalom comes in its fullness, we're still crying. There are still tears. See, shalom, as bad as we might want it to be, just a clean slate. All things made new. Shalom actually doesn't promise us the absence of tears. Shalom rather embraces our tears and lovingly wipes them away. And along with them, if you notice, all pain and all grieving and all mourning and even death. So the prophet assures us that the God who has compassion on us will never relinquish his covenant with us, his commitment to shalom, and will never allow us to fall apart. Even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, God's love for us will not. Jesus gives us the seeds. So will we plant them? Or as my friend and our very own Margaret Grubick has asked How do we receive the gift of wholeness when we ourselves are not yet whole? 